Hello. 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 And welcome to Mobilize. Mobilize is a podcast that puts a spotlight on and is a resource for people, people, friends, communities, communities activists, activists who've decided to stand up, resist, 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 fight back, mobilize. Each day, together, together, we shine a light on the we truth. Shine a light on the we truth. focus on the things that unite us. We pull each other up. We celebrate, we celebrate our, our shared humanity. humanity. Episode 12, Renee Thomas, a transgender coxswain in the U.S. Coast Guard. In anticipation of Hurricane Harvey, filmmaker Jody Savitz sat down with Renee Thomas to discuss how Trump's ban on transgender service members affects not only their livelihoods, but also the people they've sworn to protect. Hi, Renee. It's so wonderful that you are with us right now. You're going to be going out to help with the search and rescue efforts happening in Texas with the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. I truly appreciate you taking the time. I'm grateful that you would want to hear it, and I hope I represent the organization and the people that I serve with well. And so when we get started, I want to be very careful and make sure that I'm on the record as, as saying that I'm not speaking as an official spokesman of the U.S. Coast Guard. All right, we'll make that clear. Can you just tell me a little bit about yourself, your name, your age, where you're from, what you do normally? My name is Renee Thomas, and I am originally from... Um, the Bay Area in California. I've uh, lived uh, all over the country and all over the world, in fact. Uh, I'm currently living in Des Moines, Iowa, and I am 59 years old. I work uh, and have worked for a number of years as a commercial architect and lighting engineer. That's my day job. My other job is I've served as a part of the U.S. Coast Guard, and it's now going on seven years that I've been with the Coast Guard. And what brought you into the Coast Guard? Can you describe a little bit about your role and how you got there? I was inspired to join the Coast Guard originally in 2005 or shortly after Hurricane Katrina came ashore in the Louisiana, the New Orleans area. And I was really so impressed with the nature of and the sort of comprehensiveness of the response. The scale of it was amazing because the kind of devastation that that particular storm brought to the Gulf Coast was, of course, devastating. The Coast Guard flew in crews from all over the country. Boat teams were brought in. It was an all-hands-on-deck response. And for about the two weeks after landfall, the Coast Guard was personally responsible for saving over 23,000 people. It was just an amazing, amazing display of dedication to duty. You know, and, and that's what really inspired me to join. I think a lot of people would be interested to know the Coast Guard is not a really large organization relative to other government agencies, certainly those in the Department of Defense. We operate under the Department of Homeland Security. So our immediate person on the org chart is the Secretary of Homeland Security. And above that, of course, is the President of the United States. But the Coast Guard is constituted this way. There are about 38,000 active duty personnel that are spread out all over the country, and we also have them serving in various places around the world. In addition to that, we have about 8,000 reservists 
and 35,000 auxiliarists, of which I'm one. Add to that about 7,700 civilian employees that serve in a number of different ways. And the actual total number is about 89,000 people. With respect to that, we have a very broad portfolio in terms of what we're responsible for. We're responsible for certainly border protection. We're responsible for law enforcement. We're responsible for marine safety, pollution detection and abatement. And of course, the search and rescue mission, which is perhaps one of the oldest parts of the tradition of the Coast Guard. Since 1790, the Coast Guard has been involved in rescuing over a million people. So that's really quite an amazing feat if you think about it. So when you first joined, you mentioned a particular skill set that you were interested in and then that you developed. Can you tell me a little bit more about those skills that you had before, how you improved upon them, how your training helped you? Well, I grew up on the upper California coast, so I've always been involved with the ocean in some form or fashion. I learned to scuba dive when I was 12, and so I'm really comfortable in, on, or under the water. So it was an easy step for me to go from a casual boater in that sense to someone who actually works on the water. You know, from those skills and that interest, I was sort of drawn towards the surface operations and response side of the Coast Guard. So I trained as a small boat operator and became certified as a coxswain, which is essentially a word that describes the commanding officer of a small response boat. And that's a role that, that concerns itself primarily with patrol and with search and rescue. And that's really where I concentrate a lot of my effort and energies in terms of becoming skilled in those particular occupations. And in order to do that job really well, you have to be very versed with boat handling and the procedures around prosecuting a successful search and rescue case. In addition to that, I've also added to those skill sets uh, as an emergency medical services provider. I'm I'm a national registry EMT as well. So those skills bring me to be on the cusp of being deployed to a storm like Harvey. When you joined the Coast Guard Auxiliary, what part of your transition were you at? Oh, I completed that several years prior to that. Was there any point in the process that you were joining that they asked or that you had to disclose that you were trans? Uh, No. Uh, Interestingly, I mean, they knew uh, every member of the Coast Guard, whether active duty or auxiliary, goes through a security screening process. In effect, you're granted a security clearance, and that process is pretty exhaustive and very complete. So they knew, uh, certainly as a part of that process, exactly who, who I was. So there was no need to disclose that. It was never brought up. I mean, I've always been treated with absolute respect and professionalism by my commanding officers and by all the crews that I've served with. The Coast Guard has always been very inclusive, and we specifically train to diversity, and we're very serious about it. We believe that a diverse workforce is an effective workforce, and the Coast Guard really stands by that and believes that, and we train to it every year. Did you have to go through a basic training the way other people joining other branches of the military do? Yeah, it's not a boot camp per se if you're going to go after a particular skill set or a particular qualification. Uh, a PQS, we call it, stands for Personal Qualification Standard. You might go off to a C school to do that, but it's not a boot camp in the sense that an active duty um, recruit would go through, but it certainly indoctrinates you. When you go down to Texas and that area in the Gulf Coast, what do you anticipate your job will be primarily? 
I'll be honest with you, I'm not really sure where they're going to have me. They may put me into the search and rescue piece. I could just as easily be serving as a radio operator at a rescue recovery center. It's really going to be entirely up to the incident commander on scene and what is the requirement uh, that he has in terms of the positions that he needs backfilled. But I, of course, will go and do whatever I need to do and fill in wherever I need to. Where they might put me is based on my qualifications. What are your specific qualifications that you personally feel like you excel at the most and not everybody else could do? Certainly small boat operations and search and rescue. Add to that the emergency medical provider piece. And another big part of this is I have a pretty thorough background and qualification in the system that we use to respond to incidents like this. It's called the Incident Command System, ICS for short. And it's a regimented methodology for how to effectively respond to incidents of various sizes. We've used it very effectively in the Katrina response. And it's a way to organize and be able to expand or contract as necessary the personnel and materiel that you need to effectively respond to a large-scale disaster like the one that we're currently in right now. So I understand how it works. I understand what my my place is in it. And that makes it easy for me to go where I am needed to be and just jump in and start working. The other thing that's really interesting about the training that I've received is that it's identical to the training that both active duty and auxiliary forces receive, the purpose of which is to make sure that we're all trained in the same way so that there's no discrepancy in what a person should know in order to effectively do his or her job. You know that if you're working with people from across the country and you've never worked with them before, it's easy to get into that because you're all trained the same way. Coming from that similar background and knowing that you can all integrate together based on the training you've received, have you ever felt that being a trans person and also the fact that you're a lesbian, does that give you a different perspective on these scenarios when you're interacting with so many people? Do you think you are able to see things slightly differently? question. And I think it's a more personal response on my part. And that is, I think there's an essential empathy that I bring to these situations. And, you know, I I can't tell you where the genesis of that is. I can just tell you that I operate from that place. And it makes me certainly effective in dealing with the victims that we come into contact with and the people that we're trying to help. Has there ever been a time when you're on a mission where you felt you had to either compromise in how you described yourself or hidden the fact that you were trans? And do you feel like that could happen now more than ever? Never. That's never been an issue. And I can't ever anticipate it being one. People that I serve with are consummate professionals. And again, they've never treated me with anything less than respect. And as a commanding officer, I'm shown every bit the respect that you would expect. And that's never been an issue as far as I can tell. What kinds of feelings are you having as you're getting ready to leave for Harvey? How have you been preparing emotionally? You sort of try to compartmentalize your feelings because you have to be thinking about the job and you have to think about you know what you have to accomplish. So, um, you know, there's certainly a lot of apprehension. You know, at, at a certain level, you're anxious about what you're going to do, but you've got to push that aside and you've got to put a lid on those feelings and just come from a very professional and very focused place in terms of what you're about to do. So as you're walking into this situation, obviously what President Trump has said, wanting to ban trans people from the military and service members in general, he has put an odd shadow on service members who are trans. Why remain loyal to the Coast Guard after the president has come out and said what he said? 
Well, let me try to answer that question by sort of answering the larger question of, you know, why would one join the Coast Guard? You know, what would be the motivation for an individual to join? You know, I think that the worst feeling in the world is to be alone, to be in trouble, and to be certain that no one is looking for you. The 89,000 men and women that make up the U.S. Coast Guard understand that feeling viscerally. I don't think that there is any greater calling in the world than the call to save another person's life. So with respect to what President Trump may or may not do with regards to the service of transgender men and women, that's sort of irrelevant to my motivations for joining the Coast Guard in the first place. And that was to try to do the most good for the most people and be there for them on what is arguably the worst day of your life. As far as the Coast Guard itself, the Commandant had come out and said that he would keep faith with the trans members that were serving. And how did you feel about that statement? Oh, I was very proud of him and very grateful for that. I mean, he recognizes that all of his members, all of the people that serve under him, are highly trained professionals, highly committed to the mission that they do. And that is to the man and woman, the mission that we all embrace and the one that we work very, very hard to fulfill to the best of our abilities. So with respect to losing some of those really highly trained and highly motivated people, that to him would be a great loss. I mean, it's very expensive to replace an individual in whom you've invested that kind of training and that kind of trust. And I think he certainly recognizes the potential for that loss. And I'm very grateful that he said what he said. Specifically, when you're mentioning that it's expensive to replace different people based on their skill level and what they contribute, can you go a little bit more into that and how you see those losses affecting the day-to-day operations? Sure. We've got people at all ranks and rates in the Coast Guard who are trans. If this prohibition, for example, had been extended to gay people as well as trans folk, that would have been a, a tremendous loss. And again, the notion of respect and the embrace of diversity has it that it doesn't matter who you are. All that matters is that you are willing to commit to the mission and commit to acquiring and maintaining the skills necessary to complete that mission well and to serve the people of the United States, which is whom we've taken an oath to serve. When Trump says it's going to be more expensive to have trans people in the military, do you believe that? Well, I don't think the numbers bear that out at all. I mean, it is many times more expensive to train an individual to replace one that you've lost than to take care of the medical needs of a really relatively small minority of active duty members. What do you really believe is the true cost of banning trans people from serving? I think there's an ethical question sort of wrapped up in that. The people who serve in the United States Coast Guard are quintessentially Americans in every way, shape, and form. You know, we have a very diverse workforce, and it's that way by design. We've recognized a long time ago that that diversity is our strength. It's one of the things that makes us work together as well and as cohesively as we do. So I think the cost to the organization can't be overstated. It would send a terrible message to the remainder of the force. And it's very destructive in that regard and very counterproductive. It's my hope that we don't end up going there. That being said, if you had five minutes to take President Trump and give him your elevator pitch of why trans people should be serving along with everybody else, what would you say? 
Well, I'd probably take him on a longer boat ride and have that conversation with him. But if I had the opportunity, what I would say to him is, is irrelevant who and what I am. The only thing that is relevant is that I'm a Coast Guardsman. That's all that matters. And because of that, I've committed to serve and protect and save the people of the United States. And that's irrespective of who you voted for in the last election or where you went to church last Sunday. I don't care. All that matters to me is that you're in trouble and we have the skills and the determination to try to do something about that. And we do that every day, every night, 365 days a year. These people I serve with are uniquely committed to that mission. And we don't give it a second thought. If you're in trouble on the blackest night in the worst storm, we're coming after you. We'll do our best to get to you. And we'll work as hard as we possibly can to achieve a successful outcome. The outcome is everyone goes home. I would be less than honest with you if I didn't tell you that in the back of my mind, I think about the fact that I may lose this job that I really love and that I've done successfully for about seven years now. And I hope to continue doing it for quite a few more years as well. You know, I regard myself as a member of the LGBTQ community. Certainly, that's a significant part of who I am as a human being, but there's so much more to who I am that to be singled out for that one specific characteristic, that aspect of my humanity, and to have that be the single deciding factor that removes me from a job I love doing with people that I am honored to serve with to perform a mission that is so important and involves such a high stakes. I'm at a loss for words as to why somebody would be removed from the opportunity to do that job when they are uniquely qualified for it, when they've been well-trained to do it, when they're well-supported by their organization and by their command structure. I just cannot imagine that anyone would look at the wastefulness of that and not agree that that it doesn't matter who you are. All that matters is how well are you trained? How well do you commit to the mission? And are you willing to see it through to the end? And that's exactly where I stand. So for other trans service members who don't know how to manage their feelings about the president's words, what would you say to them and how would you encourage them to move forward? I would encourage them to be reminded of the Coast Guard ethos. We swore an oath to serve the people of the United States, to protect them, to defend them, to save them, to be their shield, to be ready for them at any time. My advice would be focus on the mission, focus on why we do what we do, and focus on the American people whom we swore to serve. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about all these different things and You certainly seem incredibly committed, and I really wish you the best as you move forward to do what you're clearly meant to be doing. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Mobilize. With Trump's reckless and discriminatory decision to ban transgender individuals from the military, now, more than ever, we need to stand up, speak out, and fight for all members of the LGBTQ community. Share your story with us at mobilizehere.com.